Hello, everyone, and welcome again for another episode of M365 Voice. My name is Mike Marani. Got Sarah. Hi, everybody. Sarah Hazi. And I'm Antonio Maya. And we are ready for another question to be picked from the jar. <clears throat> All right, you ready? We are ready. Perfect. What are the immediate actions you should take if you experience a data breach in Microsoft 365? Wow. Well, that's a good thing we have a security expert with us that he deals with this kind of scenarios all the time. Right, because the first thing you should not do is, is panic and Correct. alert your CEO. Or maybe that is the first step. Antonio, you tell us. No, no. So this one wasn't fixed. This was truly random. Um, we do deal with this more than we would like, I'll say. Um, definitely don't panic first. There are a number of actions that you would take. Um, at a high level, usually you try to stop the bleeding, right? Um, so there's a number of things that you could do to stop data from leaking. And um, Microsoft 365 has provided some really good capabilities that um, often it takes teams time to, you know, the team that manages an organization's Office 365 environment, it takes them time to actually learn about what those capabilities are, understand how to use them, and then be prepared when a security incident happens. So often what we'll do is we'll try to set up, you know, ideally before a security breach happens. Usually this happens afterwards, but we try before to set up a protocol that you follow when a security breach occurs. So once you have that kind of protocol, or even before you do, these things are going to be a little bit kind of hack and slash, if you will, to start. If it's your first time experiencing security breach, it tends to be a certain level of stress you haven't experienced before. Definitely don't panic. Um, the vast majority of security breaches in Office 365 come from phishing emails. At least that's been my experience. Phishing emails that come in, spear phishing emails that look very convincing. They have some call to action, they have some link in them or some attachment in them that either introduces malware into the environment or tricks the user into giving up their credentials. And it's amazing how often people um, succumb to those kinds of cons, if you will. Especially in my organization, when those things come in, and a lot of times we run them as test phishing oh, campaigns yeah. for our own users, but if they come in and they make them look shockingly like emails from Microsoft yep. that says, please log in and secure your account. Yeah, there's a thing called open source intelligence or OSINT that attackers will basically use the internet and social media to do research on a company they wanna target and who the executives are or who the partners of the executives are that they deal with. That way you can target an executive you can make the email look like it's coming from a real valid partner. Um, you'll find these phishing emails have like signatures that look really accurate. Sometimes they have like not the person's current title, but their previous title or previous contact info. So often they're not perfect, but they're close to perfect. Um, so, so once those, because they come in through phishing emails, um, usually you're dealing with exchange and exchange online capabilities or login capability within M365 to try to stop the bleeding, right? Um, the most common one I've, I've, I've dealt with was essentially taking the user to a login page that looks just like the Office 365 login page, background image and all, and asking the user to log in. And it's amazing how many people give up their credentials. Um, 
So because of that, what, what happens is an attacker gets someone's username and password, and then they log in and they have your mailbox. And then from there, they can email other people in your address book impersonating you. So then the phishing emails look even more realistic, right? Um, so one of the key things we do first is we look at things like the sign-ins report in Azure AD. The sign-ins report will tell you, um, you know, you can run it for different periods of time and it'll tell you where sign-ins, logins Office 365 have come from over the last period of time. The really nice thing with that report is the location where the logins are coming from, they actually use reverse IP lookup to actually give you the physical location. It's not just an IP mm -hmm. address. You don't have to go do your own reverse IP lookup. Now, uh, days past, reverse IP lookups were pretty easy and those, those lists have gotten fairly accurate. Where that got really hard is when those IP addresses become IPv6 addresses, because it's really hard to do reverse IP lookup manually on those. So um, because it's telling you the location, you can start to see when logins are coming from like countries that shouldn't be logging into your environment, right? Um, I don't want to single out any specific country, but the last breach we had to deal with, the attacks were coming from Turkey. So you start to see logins from Turkey on a, you know, a Canadian or a US tenant and you don't do business in Turkey. And okay, that looks suspicious. So once you have that report, you can start to see, okay, when did those people log in from those locations? Now from there, you then want to use some of the other reporting capabilities in Office 365 to understand the pattern of behavior which that person followed, right? So if it was a phishing email, right, after looking at the sign-ins report, I like to do a message trace on the email to see who else received that email in the organization. Now running a message trace, you do have to provide some um, attributes about the email. So like who the sender was, um, the subject line, um, uh, a couple of other data points about the email. And then we'll go off, search the environment for um, who else received this email. Um, now in the case of our client, they did not have Office 365 ATP deployed yet. Unfortunately, we were in the process of planning out the deployment when this attack occurred. Now, ATP is great for uh, preventing these types of attacks. Not 100%, but no solutions 100%. Um, so highly recommend to try to, you know, after you've stopped the bleeding, that's kind of your first task. The next thing is, okay, how do we remediate this and prevent it from happening in the future? So we're still on stopping the bleeding. So sign-ins report, see if you have any uh, um, sign-ins from odd locations. If you have the right level of license in Office 365, look at the risky sign-ins as well, because that'll start telling you if um, there are sign-ins that were marked as risky, depending on where they're coming from. Those are often blocked right away. So if you're able to use risky sign-ins, that's actually really helpful. Run a message trace is the next thing. Um, if you have MFA deployed to everyone, which is great, that's a highly recommended thing to do. Um, it's sometimes used as a bit of a Band-Aid because it, it doesn't solve every security issue, clearly. Um, another thing that I like to do, the third thing is um, run a PowerShell script that shows you um, which users have not yet um, activated MFA. Because what you'll find is you'll have this big population of users and you'll have enabled them all for MFA, but that means everyone has to go in and activate it. And by activating, you know, you give it a phone number or whatever other method of second factor authentication, you have to set that up. If you're enabling um, MFA through a conditional access policy 
and you have some users that never fall into that condition where they need MFA because they're always on the corporate network or they always fall into the conditions where they don't need to do MFA, they may not have activated it yet. And those can be targets for these kinds of attacks. So I like to evaluate, has everyone um, activated MFA? And if not, that gives you a population of users that you should figure out how do we get these people to activate MFA? So that's the third thing. Um, the fourth thing that I like to do is check um, if there are inbox rules uh, in people's mailboxes. Because what many of these attacks will do is they will um, download a piece of malware. Often it's an old school VB script. Um, it'll be literally be a .vb script file. Um, and uh, it'll generate PowerShell in memory, which will use your own PowerShell credentials to create inbox rules that forward mail outside the company. Or they, what they will do is, um, you know, if, if that mailbox is used to send phishing emails out, so I get your credentials, I now have access to your mailbox, I use that to mail other people internally and impersonate you. When there are replies to that, it'll automatically grab those replies and put them in some sort of a folder so that you don't see them in your inbox. So mm -hmm. it delays the period of time that you see, oh, I'm, you know, I've been hit with a phishing attack. Um, so look for those inbox rules that forward mail outside the company. There's, there's two things you can do there. One, the um, activity reports uh, in Office 365. So if you go to the audit log and you search on activities, you can actually search on inbox rules, the creation of inbox rules. Um, so you can see where were these created recently? Were they created in the mailboxes where people were hit by this attack? Um, you can remove, you can get those people to remove them and make sure that they remove them. Or through the secure score interface, there's actually a, uh, it's called the client mail rules forwarding block or the client rules forwarding block, where you when you enable that, um, it makes it so that inbox rules cannot forward mail outside the company. So if you don't already have that in place, personally, I think in a business, people should not have inbox rules that let them forward mail outside the company. But that's just one opinion. Um, uh, I think you should prevent, especially in a breach situation, any rules from forwarding mail outside the company. So that's a good trigger to enable. Um, and then the fifth thing I would say that you do after that is run more searches through the activity, through the audit log to see what other activities did people do? Because if I get your credentials to your mailbox, I also have access to your OneDrive um, and to SharePoint sites that you can access. Um, and, and if power I send- automate to create flows, if you don't have your power automate external connectors disabled, Exactly. They can create a Power Automate flow to run in the background that you may never realize is there. Yeah. That's sending all of your OneDrive files out to a Google Drive, for example. Exactly. exactly. Mm. Um, so those are some of the things that, oh, and one more thing. Yes, I remember what the last thing is. I like to use the content search to also search for those mails in people's mailboxes. And then once you have found this, so if you can identify what the email looks like, <clears throat> Because often you'll have those delivered to thousands of people internally. Um, and some of those people might be away on vacation and they're sitting in their mailbox and they haven't opened them yet. Someone comes back from vacation two weeks after the breach happens and, oh, I have this nice email. They go and they open it and boom, your attack happens all over again. Use content search to find them. And then once you've found them, you can actually use PowerShell to delete those phishing emails from people's mailboxes. So for whoever hasn't opened it or clicked on those links, you prevent those from happening. So you have an intruder right now in your environment. How do you make sure that that intruder does not 
live there anymore. So like from a, how do you stop it? So you're gonna you're gonna have to you're you're doing through the you're doing the searches, you're checking audit laws, you're checking all those rules. Now you want to have an immediate action to stop all this bleeding, right? What are the actions to do? Like before you start doing cleanup of the mailboxes, you want to have you want to stop this bleeding. What immediate actions do you take? That's a great point. Um, the um, people that were affected, once you can identify the people that were affected, at least, you know, uh, patient zero, for example, I hate to call it that, but that's sometimes what we call it. Um, make sure that they reset their credentials, make sure they have MFA enabled, and for all the users that were hit by the attack, make sure that they reset their credentials and that they reset it to strong password, multi-factor authentication, um, all the appropriate um, uh, uh, conditions around that. Um, if you have Intune for your devices as well, so devices is a broad term now, right? Some people deploy Intune only to mobile devices. Some people deploy them on Windows 10 machines and devices. I like to make sure that Intune is, uh, those users are all enrolled in Intune so that you can make sure that the devices are clean, that they're compliant, that they have, you know, the appropriate virus scanning capabilities in place, only appropriate apps, this type of thing. What about if you, they have the appropriate license uh, and applying conditional access? You you gave an example of uh, unusual sign-ins from different countries that no one usually signs in from from there. Can do you go that extreme? If I want to call it extreme, and deploy conditional access right away to kind of block that, or is the attacker smart enough to just use different countries, even coming through Canada? Uh, we are we are here in in, in Canada and try to log in. So that's a good point. Um, if you are, it depends on the nature of the attack. If the attack is such that the attacker is just hammering you, even after you stop this bleeding, they're still launching more attacks against you. And it's all from the same location, right? The same general country or set of countries. And it's not a country that you do business with regularly. Because you have to balance blocking this from still being able to do business. Um, I do recommend using conditional access or cloud app security to block all activity from those locations if you can, right? If it's not gonna hamper your business, absolutely. Now, a sophisticated attacker will be able to find other, you know, nodes and servers around the world that they can log into and use as a jumping off point. So that may or may not stop a, such a breach. It's not hard to be able to VPN into, you know, a server sitting in, I don't know, Estonia or Ireland or the Isle of Man or other odd locations and then launch attacks from there. Um, there are certain places in the world that are unfortunately known for a lot of attacks coming from. So it depends on the organization. Like if it's a governmental organization or a, a global nonprofit that works with these countries all the time, you might not be able to block traffic to those countries. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, how about I don't want to be the only one talking. How about yourselves? What have you guys experienced in this in this kind of uh, situation? Well, I think that this is right up your uh, expertise angle. So <laughs> I think that it's only fitting that you're doing a lot of the talking here. The one thing I was thinking of is what about a company? What if you're in a situation where you are the tech lead for M365 in your organization and these are things and plans that you don't have in place? And frankly, you maybe are a team of one or a very small team and you're not sure where to start. Um, I'm gonna guess that those people are saying, 
how on earth do I get educated about some of these topics? Some of them may have dollars to engage a consultant that could guide them through that process, but what do they do if they don't have the opportunity to engage an expert, Antonio, like you to be able to help them through this? Are there things that you would recommend uh, that they listen to or read to be able to kind of self-learn? That's that's a, a great, great point. Like if you're a team of two or one and you run the Office 365 environment and you don't have a separate IT security team, right? And there's lots of companies like that where it's like two, 300 people, even four or 500 people. And you've got this really small team of like two or three people and they do all things Office 365 and they're hit with a breach like this. Um, there's a lot of resources on the internet to help learn what do you do in the event of a security breach, but it does take some dedicated learning. Um, the nice thing is all of these tools that I've been mentioning are available in Office 365, right? Like you don't have to go buy a separate solution that goes and searches all your mail. You don't have to go well, buy. So buy is a loaded term, right? You need to be licensed for it in Office 365, but you don't have to buy and deploy a separate solution to your IT environment. So the fact that you have these abilities to search your content, to do things like safe links and safe attachments through some policies that you turn on, all of those capabilities are built into the platform. So that part's really nice. It really comes down to you taking the time to learn it. Um, well, then one thing that we have going for us now, um, traditionally, you have the ability to go to conferences, go to sessions where you can learn and see demos of these things. That's um, right. And uh, you can certainly go to M365 or SharePoint Saturday events. But now with COVID, here's the bonus. We have all of these virtual conferences happening free of charge where you have experts that are coming in and providing these sessions. And a lot of them have those sessions recorded and posted to YouTube. That's so right. I'm sure that there's the ability for even things like the M365 virtual marathon that happened back in May, yep. where you could still go back and look for sessions on some of these topics that have been recorded and made available. Absolutely. We've got Ignite that's coming up that's going to mm -hmm. be a multi-day event. It's going to be free. Sessions will be recorded. Um, and even, I correct me if I'm wrong, I think the Ignite sessions from last year that a lot of really good security of sessions are, are also still online. That's so right. going and looking those up and watching them, and you literally see Microsoft experts in this space who are either on the product teams or are the people that help customers giving really good informative technical sessions on this stuff. Um, some of it's kind of knowing where to start and what to look for, but once you start on that, you really pick up a lot of the capabilities quickly. Yeah, so those videos are great. And I'm going to say moral of the story is don't wait until you have a breach to start thinking about these things, because even if you have, and it can be as simple as even if you spend, um, let's say, 8, 10, 12, 36, 40 hours building a OneNote punch list of a plan with hyperlinks to go to, yeah. then if a data breach occurs, then you at least aren't going out and, and just starting with a bare search engine search for what That's do right. I do. Exactly. That that I think would be the first thing to start educating yourself on. What are these top things that I do if we experience a breach? And a good place to start is if we experience a spear phishing attack, because those are the most common, and creating that punch list like you're saying. I think that's a great place to start like now if you don't already have that. And breaches evolve over time. So that's something that really needs to be kept up to date as new, you know, new vulnerabilities come up, as new capabilities come online that you can take advantage of. It's something that once you get into that world, it does need to be kept up to date. Yeah, yeah, yeah this exactly. is really interesting. 
it's it's not only preparing yourself, you definitely have to prepare yourself, but I think also you wanna not educating yourself as an as an administrator of Office 365, you have to educate the users. So you can also run like campaign, phishing campaign that will educate the users basically to see who is actually clicking on those phishing emails and, and not following the safety procedure of, of attackers. And so if you run some, some phishing, phishing campaigns, that will make the end user a bit more aware of, you have to be careful when you receive an email before you click on a link, verify that is a legit link from a legit person. That's right. And I think you alluded to that earlier, Sarah, as well, kind of when you simulate these attacks um, against your own employees, just to see how are people doing in terms of understanding what's real and what's not real and mm-hmm. using that as an opportunity for them to learn. So you know, once you've stopped this bleeding, the next thing becomes remediation. How do we prevent this from happening again? And usually an important part of remediation is um, educating your users on what does a phishing email look like? What does a security breach look like? What information should you protect? And then the attack simulator comes on kind of testing people on that and seeing if people have in fact followed the training, if they've gone through and paid attention to their, you know, ideally annual training on this, or if they need some additional training. Well, that was a very interesting and uh, good topic actually to discuss. It was very informative. Antonio, you've taken us through a life experience of many, many events you have dealt with. Thank you both. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you next time. Bye for now. Thank you. Bye for now.